0: Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbine, community based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices.
1: And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth.
0: Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is, is a soul fire production. Fire. You're going to make it really hot in there.
1: I'm back on hope and the sun is coming through the window and we can't have air on because it'll make funny sounds. I'm going to get, yes, it's going to get very hot in here. (laughs)
0: So so we will have to compress the podcast and, you know, people have to play the podcast on two times speed. Why is that? So you'll be hot for less time. Okay. (laughs) No, I don't think that's how it works, but... But,
1: I don't think so either, but okay.
0: Yeah, I, I have a, I have a good friend that listens to all her podcasts at least one and a half times speed.
1: <laughs> I remember I did that way back when, when we first started and I couldn't understand why people were talking so fast.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, you, oh, you did it by accident. Yeah, I, I, I listened yeah. to her listening and, and I couldn't understand a word that they were saying, <laughs> but she could interpret it really, really well. So that was pretty That's cool. I, 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 I was like...
1: I was like, I guess this is like a, a trend on podcasts. People just talk really fast. Oh, yeah, back in really
0: the
2: high day. voices too. <laughs>
1: yeah, back in the day when I didn't know much about podcasts.
0: We still don't Hi. know a whole lot.
1: Oh, we know enough.
0: Yeah, know. I mean, we have we have simple technology compared to some of our illustrious colleagues
1: isn't that nice though it's kind of like our style like yeah. you know life is simple keep it simple it doesn't need to be complicated
0: no it doesn't and yeah. uh speaking of other podcasts i just have to put a shout out to uh nathan riley on his holistic uh ob podcast because uh didn't interview it on number 80 uh, you did no he did oh uh-huh with with this woman who wrote a book about cesarean sections. she's like a phd I highly recommend it to all our listeners. So that's the holistic, I think it's OBGYN and that's mm-hmm. Nathan Riley's podcast uh, number mm-hmm. 80.
1: Yeah. Um, and he did, he did another one a few weeks back. That was um, about the history of midwifery. That was really great too. So if that's something, I, you know, I've been so steeped in it for so long that I think that everybody knows, but I had somebody DM me the other day about like, why, why are women still like, you know, why, how did we get convinced to like be in the hospital? And like, do you know the history of obstetrics and midwifery? And she was like, no. And I'm like, go read these books. So, you know, I think people that just don't don't necessarily know how we got to where we are. So,
0: yeah, this, this podcast did a really good job about giving the history of, of how cesarean section started Mm -hmm. and how it was used almost extremely rarely because it was it had like a 50 to 80 percent mortality rate Mm. and it was then and then then after world war ii with the advent of essentially antibiotics and blood products and uh, hand washing well uh, yeah but yeah Yeah. that too but but antibiotics then then it became it started to become more and more common and more and more the go-to thing and uh but somehow it went from a rate of about four to five percent in the late 60s to you know to 30 percent now which is ridiculous amount it was never yeah. supposed to be like that and um the mortality and morbidity as this woman says is even slightly worse now than it was back in the sixties and seventies so hmm. uh, we've, and we've that's such to... a
1: that's such a great segue into um our topic today because yeah tell we're...
0: people what we're going to talk about today and then I've got a few things to cover before we get our guest on so
1: yeah so we're I'm um, going to be talking about a which um really is connected to cesareans. So um we have a guest on who is a very good friend of mine. We'll introduce her when she's on, um, but who was also a client and I had the benefit of attending all three of her deliveries. So you'll get to hear her story. So
0: okay, great. So let me get yeah. back to a couple of things here. One, I just want to make sure everybody really enjoyed the uh Abby Epstein Ricky Lake podcast. Um, we did. I've, I've listened to it a couple extra times. And then we've gotten a lot of, um, a lot of likes and a lot of, uh, shares on those videos from that, uh, Instagram page. So that was one of the most popular.
1: Yeah. And Ricky is also a good friend of mine. And she sent me a text and said that it was one of her, it was her favorite, uh, interview that she's done so far. She really enjoyed it.
0: Well, all the more reason to listen to it again and share it with your friends (laughs) and follow and follow the podcast. Uh, I have a correction. Okay. Okay. So this is from Claire. And she says, firstly, I want to say I love the podcast and everything you do to help spread truth and birth. I'm emailing because of the mom from North Carolina who had contacted you in the last episode, which would have been two or three episodes ago now. Mm -hmm. She said that midwifery is illegal in North Carolina. And while that is a common misconception, it's not true. Birth laws in North Carolina certainly do leave a lot to be desired, but home birth is perfectly legal and there are certified nurse midwives all across the state who attend home births. CPMs are not licensed in North Carolina, but they are around and they can be found by word of mouth. (laughs) There is a group on Facebook called Home Birth Community of North Carolina, which is a great resource for anyone wanting a natural birth in North Carolina. I'm hoping that by sharing this with you, you can help more North Carolina moms know that we do have options. Okay. So she says it's also the case for many states where there are rumors going around about home birth being illegal. But we yeah. we should probably, you know, I'll from now on when I get a letter that says that I will investigate it before I read it on the podcast. Okay. Um, I trust my listeners though. And uh, okay, so um, also another rumor that's out in my community is I I got a call from a midwife who told me that a patient was thinking about coming in to see our practice, even though it would be Dr. Flores, but she couldn't afford the $25,000 that we charge for a home birth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I yeah. called the midwife and she said the patient heard it from another midwife. So I called that midwife and that midwife said, I never said that to her, but I heard it from the patient who said she heard it from someone else. So it's like playing the game telephone, but you have no idea who started the rumor and no way to find out it's out there. So it's yeah. not 25,000. No, it it, it runs be, it depends on what it runs between 10,000 and 18,000 depending on the, the distance and the and the history. I mean, is it twins and are you 150 miles away? Is it your first baby, is it your third baby? We you know, we we're in private practice, we can charge whatever we want. Sometimes we charge a lot less because it's a hardship case. Yeah. And uh, we used to have I used to joke with you. I think that um, we had a rule that we shouldn't decide what we're going to charge people until we do the home visit and see how nice their house is. <laughs> but no, we can't do that either.
1: You can't do that.
0: Okay. So, um, yeah. Great. Oh, you you got more?
1: No, no, no. I was just going to say that you know I've I've been having conversations with people who like really want me to come to where they are because they've seen me travel and unfortunately because i would have to take the entire month off and not take any other clients uh you know i can get quite pricey if i had to travel to somebody too um so that's just yeah you but know. this
0: this sounds almost as if someone either made it up or someone was trying to um diminish what we do by saying that we charge that kind of money
1: yeah it might have just been a flippant comment like you know 25000 like it's just a lot of money and they just said it and then it caught on. So, but that's good that you clarified. Yeah. Um, can I tell you about, uh, what I did yesterday?
0: Of course you can. It's yeah. your podcast.
1: <laughs> so I had, I had a, one of those days that I just didn't feel emotionally great. You know, I'm sure everybody has those days where they're just kind of like, Meh, this is one of those days. And I, um, I'm, I'm staying on hope right now. Cause I'm, I'm, uh, I'm subleasing a house. And the agreement is, is that family can come back from time to time from Chicago, back to Santa Barbara. And so I'm here on hope. And I was like, I just don't want to like, not, I want not want to be home tonight. So I went and I saw a double feature and one of, one of uh, their, both documentaries are really great. And one of them was um, about Leonard Cohen, um, who is a, I don't know. He's not a rock star, but he's, he's a pop, musician folk what would you classify him as yeah he doesn't have a classification he's yeah. pretty he's a pretty cool guy but he's the one who wrote the song hallelujah and the movie is really about how that song caught on and but there was a quote that made me think of you and the podcast too and i wanted to um to just read it for you guys here's the quote you look around and you see a world that is impenetrable." He says at the end of the film, you either raise your fist or say hallelujah. I try to do both. And it made me think of you and I raising the fist and then saying hallelujah. So I don't know. I just felt like I wanted to share it today on the podcast.
0: Well, it sends it sends a good good feeling, a big dopamine release going on in me right now when you think of me in the in that way. So I'm I'm grateful to you. Thank
1: you. <laughs> I'm grateful to us.
0: Yes. There are people who aren't, I'm not, who I'm not grateful to. However, Instagram, okay. Instagram uh, for, forbade me from using the term useful idiot. What? Yep. And I was trying to comment on a post and I, I posted it and I used the term useful idiot and it wouldn't let me post it. So then I just was curious. So then I took the term useful idiot out and it, po- it let me post it. So they have a bot that wouldn't let me post a comment on someone else's post with the term useful idiot in it, even though useful idiot is it's a historical term I and mean, it comes, I think from Lenin. Um, so it's interesting that Instagram won't, their bots won't allow you to say, maybe they, maybe it's just the word idiot.
1: Yeah. But you what, can't, you know, you can't say mean words. You can be bullying someone. Stu. What, if,
0: what if the title of a new movie comes out called useful idiots? <laughs> Will they not be able to put the title on Instagram?
1: I think there's a show on on uh, on um, Netflix right now called God's Favorite Idiot.
0: I do. <laughs> well, we'll have to check that out. Anyway, it was just another bit of censorship. And
1: yeah, speaking, speaking wow. of
0: speaking of absurdities, I went when I was up in Paso Robles recently. I went wine tasting there, and one night I had a free night, so I went to the movies. Mm-hmm. And before the movies, you know how they run these commercials, right?
1: Um, yes. They're yeah.
0: not and we're not talking about trailers we're talking about yeah. commercials now. Yeah.
1: They, yeah. They
0: had a public service announcement with two local OBGYNs from that area. For about a minute and a half praising the covid vaccine in pregnant women.
1: Yeah. Or uh, planning to
0: get. Yeah, pregnant. I just want to I just want to say that to Dr. Moreni Stanislaw and Dr. Shan Thomas, I'm sure that you're highly decorated um I know this was put on YouTube about 10 months ago because I have searched it out. So this probably would have been last winter that you put this out. If, if you still stand by it, you're a fool. And if you don't stand by it, then you should get the movie theater to not be playing it anymore because you're encouraging all women how safe and effective the COVID vaccine is for you while you're pregnant. And it, they've got smiling faces and they're giving in shots and they're sitting behind their lovely desks and they're talking about, all the wonders of the COVID-19 uh, vaccine in pregnant women. It's, uh, it's it, yeah, I, I, was, I couldn't believe that I was going to the movies and I had to watch that.
2: Janice gave it.
0: Real quick, one more idiocy and then one more um, absurdity. And then, we'll, and then we'll get to our guest. This is from Amanda. And she says, hello, I'm 35 weeks along and I've listened to about 100 episodes since discovering your podcast. I have learned so much, and I have gained so much comfort and confidence from listening to your discussions. Mm
1: -hmm. I have always
0: felt the way you do about vaccines, and I'm so thankful to learn about all the unneeded hospital interventions that take place. It's so eye-opening. So my question is, get this. Okay. Can babies with heads measuring in the 90th percentile really not be born vaginally? (laughs) Both a friend and my, I paused because I wanted to hear you laugh. Both a friend and my sister received a C-section for that reason, because the doctor said, don't be a hero and push, just have the C-section. Jeez. My sister's scar was huge and got a major infection. It was terrifying. I just, you know, again, another complication of cesarean, which does tie into today's theme. Yes. I just really feel like it's okay that he has a large head and that I can do this. Am I wrong? Can a big head really not be delivered vaginally? I'm five foot seven and have large hips. <laughs> As if that actually matters either. My But doctor that's has what been push-
2: people are told. That's what they're told. I know.
0: My doctor has been pushing c section since the first ultrasound. When yeah. he's measuring ahead of schedule. I don't want one, says Amanda. Your, your thoughts, Bliss, on that?
1: Uh, don't do it. You deserve a trial of labor. Um, baby's heads mold and your pelvis also expands, which is the beautiful design of our bodies. So as Stu has said before on the podcast, unless you've had a major injury to your pelvis, like you had an accident where it was crushed or something, your your hips are going to expand to be able to um, birth your baby and rebuild babies that fit our pelvises. So, uh, you know, don't listen to that. Just give yourself the opportunity to have a trial of labor with a provider that supports normal physiologic birth which it sounds like this doctor is not someone who does that
0: yeah i mean that was really well said uh academically and and calmly i you know how i would have said things slightly differently but i'll just leave it at that and just say you know run away from this doctor as fast as possible um what he told you is absolutely incorrect um if he knows it he's a liar if he doesn't know it he's a fool so i don't understand how um you could continue with this guy. Uh, I know it's late in your pregnancy, but run, 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 run. Okay. Last thing, uh, Physicians for Informed Consent, which you know is an organization that I support. I was one of the founding members of it. Yes. Um, they they advocate for the private practice of medicine and for the doctor patient relationship. And I just want to say that uh, another Bravo shout out to them and their attorney Greg Glazer. Um, Physicians for Informed Consent has filed a First Amendment free speech lawsuit and a motion for preliminary injunction against the Medical Board of California in order to protect the free speech of all physicians in California. The Physicians for Informed Consent lawsuit argues that the Medical Board has weaponized the phrase misinformation to unconstitutionally target dissenting physicians, including by attempting to intimidate, by investigation, censor, sanction, Public, who any physician who publicly disagrees with the government's ever-evolving, erratic, and contradictory public health COVID-19 edicts. Nice. So you know and I know that what misinformation means when it comes out of their mouth means truth, but it's truth that's not in line with their narrative. Um, an example of the medical board's alleged targeting of scientific dissent, the First Amendment complaint refers to the following statement in the medical board's meetings. Ms. Lawson, who's a member of the board, stated it is the duty of the board to protect the public from misinformation and disinformation by physicians, noting the increase in the dissemination of healthcare-related misinformation and disinformation on social media platforms, in the media, and online, putting patients' lives at risk and causing unnecessary strain on the healthcare system. The board's standard, uh, as you know, PIC general counsel Greg Glazer says, the board's standard for misinformation is so hopelessly vague. It is impossible for me to advise my client, PIC, whether the board will arbitrarily prosecute PIC for its content, even though such PIC content is factual and meticulously cited. The scheduled hearing on PIC's motion is September 27,
2: 2022.
0: Awesome. So anyway, the reason I bring this up is because even at this point where more and more evidence is coming out that the CDC, everything they told you, the CDC is admitting now that a lot of the stuff they told you, but they're doing it very subtly and the mainstream media isn't covering it. Right. But they're, they're admitting now that much of what they told you about the vaccine, about COVID, about the unvaccinated, uh, about, about natural immunity, all those things they said were, were actually wrong. And apparently at the time they said it, they knew it was wrong. So we call that in common English, lying. And yet we still have state legislatures like California passing laws they are trying to muzzle physicians who all along have been telling the truth, but because it's not their truth, it's labeled as misinformation.
1: It's very inconvenient for them.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, you know what would be really convenient for them to just finally admit that they that they were wrong.
1: No, it, that wouldn't be convenient for them either. But it would be nice. You know that what? They
0: have, be- they'd have a better chance of having a good uh, a good life and a good afterlife if they were to. If
1: they were, to admit that. <laughs> we're making judgments now on yeah. afterlife
0: let's take a break for a moment and uh let's tell you what i'm drinking right now which is water mixed with raspberry salt
1: because L-M-N-T. i am drinking
0: element lmnt yeah. so tell us a little bit about lmnt please
2: me yeah okay
0: i'm switching um, it up it
1: is- It is a healthy electrolyte uh, drink that um, is environmentally conscious, like we love, because it comes in a little packet and you can put it in your reusable water bottle. And um, it has all of the good stuff and none of the BS like us. That's one of the reasons why we love it. And um, they've got some amazing flavors, which Stu will tell you about. And, you know, we've They like to to advertise it for athletes and stuff like that. But for our listeners, um, we love it for our pregnant mamas, for people in labor, for us as birth workers to have in our birth bag, because we all need um, these electrolytes, especially when it's hot outside. Um, So definitely check them out. We're so grateful that they support the podcast.
0: Yeah, I took a bike ride this morning to a hiking trail, and then I went on a hiking trail. I got up early didn't want like to get you. up early i woke up early so um but i packed in my uh my my raspberry salt element uh in my water bottle and it was great so it's yeah it is good and it comes in great flavors besides uh raspberry it comes in grapefruit watermelon citrus orange mango chili lemon habanero and chocolate salt as well as unflavored raw uh so mm. if you go to drink element that's drinklmnt.com and use the code word Birthing Instincts, you will get 5%. Uh, excuse me, you'll get a um, free sample pack uh, along with any order that you make. So that's uh drinkelement.com. And the code word is birthing instincts. Thanks, Element.
1: Thank you, Element.
0: <laughs> okay, we're moving on. So you 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 introduce your uh your your our guest and your friend.
1: Okay, great. Is she with us? Yay! Um, So Desiree is one of my good friends who uh, is not only beautiful and um, so fashionable and amazing, um, but she's also the mother of three beautiful boys who I had the absolute uh, honor and privilege of attending all three of her deliveries. And... um, I was um studying, I think I mentioned a couple of times on the podcast, I was studying Breach with uh, Breach Without Borders. Um, and uh, and they talked about the downstream consequences of cesarean section, and it brought to mind Desiree's story, and I just wanted her to come on the podcast and share her experience. Hi, love. Hi, guys. Hi, Hi thank Jessie. you for joining us today. Um Dr. Stu and I also, I mean, I don't know if you were part of her first delivery, but but we have a a great relationship with Desi and there's a lot of love. And she called me this morning. She's like, I'm a little nervous. And I was like, You're just talking to friends. Like, don't worry about it at all. So thank you for being here, sweetheart. I know your thank life is you. busy with three little boys. Oh,
2: it's wild. Thank you for having me. And Dr. Fishbine, you were actually you did my first ultrasound with fox as well so you had a little part of even fox
0: right right I, that i yeah i was thought i'm not was not involved with your delivery but i, I you know if yeah. Bliss was your midwife or anybody in that in that realm then i probably did the ultrasounds
2: yeah you yeah. did them for all three of my boys actually
0: well we'll get to the third one eventually but let's let's let let bliss kind of lead us down that path yeah i'd just like to say i would just like to say that that when you watch the breach without borders or, or my course reteach breach we do do a talk on on the con- on the on the downstream consequences of, of cesarean section especially in women who want more children but also just in in the initial delivery and the effect on the mother and the baby but also the mother's future babies which is a question that we talk about on the podcast sometimes that no doctors usually ever ask women when they're t- telling them like, your head's in the 90th percentile, you need a C-section. I'm sure that this doctor never asked that woman, does she want more children? Right. Right. Well, that's what, before you came on, we were talking about a a doctor who told a woman because the baby's head was slightly big that she should have a C-section for it. We talk about absurdities on the podcast all the time. (laughs) Right. So go ahead, Bliss.
1: Yeah. So Desi, why don't you, Desi um, Desiree, um, I call her Desi. Do you prefer Desi or care? Um I prefer Desi from you, but no one else calls me Desi. <laughs> See, this is this is when you get close, you get to people call people nicknames. Um so Desiree was a client at um the birth center, the sanctuary that we talked about that we had in Los Angeles. So why don't you share just a little bit about your first delivery and what that experience was like?
2: Um well it was it was beautiful up until the birth. I was with the sanctuary. <laughs> I was with the sanctuary, and I was a first time mama and the pregnancy went really well um and of course, I got really tired during the birth. It was a really, really long birth, and at one point, I mean it, to me it's the biggest decision like mistake I've ever really made was getting up and saying transfer me now I'm going I'm ready um and why did you make
1: that why did you make that decision in that moment it wasn't necessarily about pain relief what was what was what what was that decision for really
2: yeah um I had a really I loved my midwives but um I wasn't eek this is tricky Bliss. I think I'm a layer when I birth, I know some people are movers and shakers. I really wanted to be a mover and a shaker. You remember, <laughs> I was like, put some music on. I want to dance my second baby out, but yeah. I'm a layer. I'm actually a layer and I'd like to lay down and be left alone. Um, and I think because it was my first birth, they were worried that I was going to get tired. And so I was being moved around a lot and I didn't like it. And I was, tired of being moved around and asked to do a lot of things to try to progress because it was a really quick progression at first and then it kind of just stopped so they were like squat here and do this and do that and I was kind of like I just want to lay down and they were like you're gonna get tired and I'm like yeah because you're moving me around (laughs) um so I think at a certain point my body started to push and the baby wasn't ready to come out and I was it was uncomfortable and I was over it and I wanted to just be left alone. So I got up and got myself dressed and said, take me to the hospital. And I wish I never did that, but I did. I should have said, just leave me alone. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. Just leave me alone. Yeah. Um, I think there but- was some. Yeah. Some, yeah. There was a lot going on.
1: But it, but it was hard for you as a first time mom to be able to have that perspective. And the other thing that I would say as being there, I was I was in the role of observe. Desi had had uh, looked at me in the hallway at the sanctuary one day and said, I really want you to come to my birth. And I was so honored because I absolutely loved her. Every time she came in to the center, I, I felt like it was just like a, a, a magic like whirlwind came in with her. And so I was so honored to be there. But there were a lot of people there. And um and your needs weren't really being met. And it was really hard for you to find your voice in that birth. But I think it's oh, yeah. important for Yeah, I think it's important for people to hear that, you know, even at a home birth, we cannot necessarily be in tune with or listen to what a woman is needing. We have an idea of what we think we should be doing, but really what you needed to be done, what you needed in that birth was to be left alone in the respect of like not forcing you to do something and just giving you loving support in hindsight. Because
2: everything was okay with the baby and everything was okay with me. Yes. Other than I wasn't being left alone and there were some students and there was just a lot, I don't know how it happened like that. There was just a lot of people there and um, (laughs) energy is so important. And one of the student midwives, as much as everything was in alignment with us and we should have been deeply connected energetically, I just didn't want her there. It was just very strange. And, you know, if I could say anything, it's like really learn to advocate for yourself the first time around. Like realize the importance of advocating for yourself the first time around. And I think that's so tricky because you don't know how to do that the first time around. You want everything to go with flow and you. Don't want anybody telling you anything that isn't really positive. At least for me, it was that way. Yeah, Um, Yeah. But I sure learned how to advocate after that.
1: You sure did. So tell (laughs) us what happened when you got to the hospital.
2: Oh, that was the worst experience um, ever. They left me in a hallway. I feel like there was some tension because I was a transfer. So they were not very kind. Um, They left me in a hallway for a long time um, i was laboring with people walking by it was it was really horrible actually and i was in a lot more pain at the hospital than i was at home it became really uncomfortable and then when they gave me a room they started to kind of separate my husband and i my husband was really on bo- board with home birth and they started to tell him like she's been in labor for 2 days the baby's maybe at risk even though he, he wasn't and um they you know finally my husband looked at me and said baby let's just do what they're child we were so tired
0: can yeah. i say can i say something i just yeah. want to i, I want to clarify that when you said they began to separate you from your husband you don't mean physically you mean no emotionally i i, I got that yeah. I'm sure the, most of the listeners got that but i wanted to you know, in the era of COVID now, this is way, 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 way before that. When people say they they <laughs> yeah. wanted to separate me from my husband, it, it sometimes it's for stupid rules and reasons like that. But this was they were trying, they were almost using your husband to, uh, and driving a wedge between the two of you, as far as your goals yes. for the birth. That's what you meant, yes.
2: right? They were putting fear into him, um, just telling him that you know even if they gave me a chance to push, we they, they literally said to us, we're not sure he would survive the baby would survive. So they started. And then at that point, radar just looked at me and said, you know what, buddy, I love you. And I really wanted this home birth. And I know that this was really important to you, but just give me my baby. Let's just get our baby out safely. And let's just do this together. And it was, it just went downhill from there. I was so defeated. I was sobbing. This was my worst case scenario. Um, They took us into the room to have the surgery. I had an allergic reaction to whatever they were giving me. I was, this is so um, icky to share guys, but I was like vomiting in my own mouth because they had me laying on my back. And it was just, I felt like I couldn't breathe. I had to, um, I couldn't, for some reason, the only way I could breathe is if I turned my head away to the left, which my husband was to my right. So I felt, just it was awful because I wanted to look at my husband. I needed his support, but I was feeling nauseous and um and then they they we had a c-section, and when the doctor got there, he said, and I'll never forget these words, he said, Why are we doing this? She could have pushed. Mm. That's literally what he said mm. while he was cutting me open. Why are we doing this? She could have pushed. The baby is right here hmm. and I just sobbed I sobbed, and did, sobbed did any and did sobbed. anyone
0: did anyone respond to that statement was he making it to the to the ceiling in the room or was he speaking to somebody particularly
2: he was speaking to the staff whoever I, I mean it was such a whirlwind there were so many people in there it was so violating it was all the things and he just looked at them and and said like why are we doing this but he had already sliced me and and it was it was it was horrible it was I felt it put so many like I just felt like I'd failed honestly like I should have stayed like all the things just right then and there I was like how did how did I let this happen he's even saying and why is he
1: doing this if he knows that I could push like what is happening in here so yeah Yeah. hindsight is uh 2020 right you get a totally different perspective okay so you planned a home birth you ended up having what I would consider a traumatic cesarean, and you had to process for a, for a long time. Every time I saw you after that, we would have tears and conversations. I've actually mentioned you on the podcast before in that respect, but didn't really mention your name. Um, but I remember. I remember how much it affected you, and I remember you needing to talk about it um, for a long time. And, yeah. I, and, and then you got pregnant again, and... What happened with that pregnancy? Oh my goddess! It
2: was the best pregnancy ever. (laughs) Um, I remember actually, Dr. Fishbine, you told me I was pregnant, but I did have some losses in between. If you guys remember, I had a couple losses in between, and so I was like, "I don't feel pregnant this time. I don't. I don't think it's actually happening." But it did, and we went out to lunch. You and and me and Amanda, if you remember, across the street from Fishbine's office, and I I was like shocked. I couldn't believe that I was actually pregnant. Um, and we planned a beautiful birth. I said I wanted to be home, and it's funny because we went to see Dr. Fishbine, and Radar was like, "Um, are, like, is this safe to do a VBAC?" And I love you, Dr. Fishbine, because not only are you gentle and loving. But you literally write on the paper in front of you on the paper that you sit on when you're getting examined. He took a pen or a marker and he wrote down all the statistics, right, for radar. And it was just so easy. Once he wrote it down like this, he was like, look, this is the chance of something bad happening with the VBAC. It's really small. Um, It could happen. You know,
0: that's funny. That's funny. In my new office, we don't have that paper that you lay on like you did in a regular doctor's office. I used to use that stuff all the time. I used to draw <laughs> uteruses and I would draw breech babies and, you know, stick figured breech babies. And I would, I would, I would do numbers. I, I remember doing that. It's funny because I've been in that, I've been out of that office now for over three years and, and we don't have the paper that you pull down that crunchy paper that you lay on. Thank
1: God. But
0: thanks for that. Re- thanks for that good memory. That was a good memory. You
2: know what? You need to put some chalk on your wall or something. I don't know. <laughs> I love that paper. It, it gave, it was like the perfect effect. Like oh, here he is, he's meaning business. He wrote it all down right there. It was beautiful, yeah, then i used
0: and, to I used to actually rip the paper off and hand it to them to take home,
2: I, <laughs> to I love it. home. I, yeah, it was really great, and it made yeah. us a lasting impression um and radar immediately, as soon as he was able to write, like the numbers don't matter to me in in that way, I mean they do they do, but um for radar, it was really nice to see the numbers very clearly, like. And and he was like, "All right, let's do this. We're doing a. We're gonna have a VBAC. And this time, Bliss, you were a student midwife, it was. and um, and it was awesome. I felt like, okay, now I'm I'm bringing on a team that I trust, that I love, that's gonna listen to me. Now I know what I want, and I know I had told Bliss. I said, I want to dance. I want to have this baby outside. And at some b- point in my labor, you're like, Hey, baby." <laughs> gently the way you do whispering in my ear you're like spooning me I just want to remind you that um you wanted to go outside and dance do you do you want to come out and I was like no I just want to lay here and I'm a said, layer I said I think I'm a layer and I laid there and you said okay baby and you let me lay you let me lay and I had my baby at home and he was almost 10 pounds and 22 and a half inches long Man. He was
1: a massive baby <laughs> you did it you had these signs amazing. up. amazing you had these signs up that you made that said this baby is going to come out of my vagina and I loved <laughs> and it happened we had a we had a beautiful uh celebratory age back it was amazing it was the best
2: it, it was, was the really
1: best. Bad. Yeah, I wasn't messing
2: around with my affirmations. It wasn't all <laughs> lucky. It was like, this baby is coming out of my vagina.
1: That's let's it. Be, let's be serious, like That's literal it. about this. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, um, and then you know, you had this successful vaginal delivery. So you got pregnant again. And we went to, uh, I believe we were at Dr. Stu's office, right? Oh, Dr.
2: We, Stu. The- you have touched me so many times when it comes to birth. I mean, you were, you you did my first um, ultrasound, which was a loss. And then you did Fox. And then you did another loss. Then you did Jupiter. And then we did Thunder. And you said, it's so funny. I feel like nobody wanted to tell me what, what was happening, but needed to tell me what was happening. You said, something's not right. Here we got a something's happening here. I, I think at first we thought maybe it was a placenta previa. So for a couple of days I
1: thought. Okay, how many I'm weeks? Gonna... How many
0: weeks were you when we did I that? Think for... twi-
1: I think it was her. I think it was a structural scan, right? A Twenty yeah. weeks.
0: Okay. Okay. That yeah.
1: Somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It,
2: this time I I waited and um, yeah. At 20
1: well weeks. i want i want in, to like interject something really fast before you get into what happened in that visit um this time because you had had the successful feedback you were like this time i want to go next to the river and deliver in the forest can we do that and i was like uh okay
2: yeah <laughs> so we you said radar yeah. On
1: board, but okay Um, And then here you were getting your structural scan, you know, obviously you'd had some losses and the baby had, you know, was staying. And so you knew you were pregnant and you had had this successful vaginal delivery. And then you got the news. What did we say?
2: We said, you know, something is going on here and I, he wanted me to get a second opinion. Yeah. Was I, was
0: I, was I that vague or did I tell you what I thought was
2: going on? You thought it was, Pre- you were hoping it was a placenta previa, um, and you wanted me to get a, a second opinion, but I think that it was hard for anybody to tell me what was going on. Yeah,
1: you we didn't want to be a
2: downer. Pre- you didn't want to yeah. be, you didn't, I don't think you wanted to bear the bad news. You had you'd given me some bad news before, but you were clear. You said you, I needed a second opinion, and that I, could, I should not move forward without, and you recommended someone. Um, and
1: can you um can you tell our listeners who may not know what a placenta previa is?
0: Yeah, a placenta previa is uh, where the placenta implants is really important, and that's something as part of the twenty week scan or even earlier scan. You you try to look at that, and and placenta will often pl- implant anterior or posterior or at the top of the uterus it's called fundal implantation. But when it implants where the placenta is actually covering over the opening of the cervix. Um, That's called a placenta previa. And then you can have a marginal placenta previa where just the edge is covering it. The worst case scenario is when you have what's called a central placenta previa. Because a marginal placenta previa, over time, the uterus may grow out from under it. Uh, Some people think the placenta actually moves. Placenta doesn't really move. It's not crawling like an amoeba or anything like that. It's embedded in the wall. But the areas which, which have poor vascularity, like right down by the cervix, they tend to recede. And the, and the placenta tends to seek out and grow toward areas of better vascularity, which would be up higher in the uterus. So sometimes at 20 weeks, you'll see somebody with a marginal placenta previa. And by 28 weeks, it's it's not even a low lying anymore. It's not even an issue. But when you have a, a central placenta previa, there's pretty much no way that that's going to change. And it's just where the placenta grows over the cervix. And so that's a real problem because obviously the baby can't get out without tearing through its own placenta, which is a, well, just put it, it's not a good thing put that way.
1: Yeah. And, and even if the baby, if it was more marginal, but, but covering the os in some way, not completely, you could have really uh, a big bleed. Um, But one of the other things that we're looking for with a woman who's had a previous cesarean, when we do ultrasounds in subsequent pregnancies is we're looking at where the placement of the placenta is not just in relationship to the os, but in relationship to the scar. So that is something that you know we want to um, to know in terms of caring for a woman who wants to have a VBAC. Okay, Desi. So then you decide. Um, you're gonna go get a second opinion and I think we were still pretty positive at that point we were like we'll do acupuncture and placenta oh yeah and, visualization yeah. and
2: all yeah. the things and I think in, in uh, Dr. Fishman I'm pretty sure you may have thrown out the word accreta but I maybe didn't want to hear it um you may have said oh, right like first. let's get a second opinion to make sure that it is it's not um an accreta but we were just I was like no it's just a preview I'm in a vision it's gonna be like a balloon and it's gonna just go and everything's gonna be open and clear and I'm gonna have this baby it's gonna be easy peasy lemon squeezy yeah um we got a second opinion and the second opinion also was like oh boy um well he he was a little like you know he said I think it you know I could give you a c-section and I think it'll be I think it's a previa or you know and then
1: he said, but I would really like it if you got a third opinion. Wasn't that Dr. Emiliano Shavira? Yep. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, you had um, uh, state insurance at the time, correct? Yep. Yeah. And, um, and you are Mexican and Black, mm-hmm. correct? So mm-hmm. we had some, you know, and Dr. Stu is somebody that I really trust. And so going for a second opinion was a big deal in terms of like, OK, who do we trust to be able to give us a second opinion? And who would we trust to, you know, be part of your care, given the concerns that you had about being a black woman in the maternity healthcare system? So there was a lot that went into like making these decisions as well. Oh, well absolutely. And, that, and that's
0: why Chavira was a really great choice. Yes. I want to yes. I want to make sure people understand that. I don't remember him asking for a third opinion though. So that's this, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to hear the story from this point forward too, because I don't think I saw you again after that.
2: No. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, Bliss. I always feel like um, just so grateful to you. And and Dr. fishbite I feel like um, being a black and, and Mexican woman or a woman of color, um, you've always held this container Um I feel like you guys are way up there when it comes to like healthcare or birth. And I felt very lucky and I always felt very protected by you, Bliss. And, and Dr. Fishman, you always saw me and took care of me no matter what was going on. Um, and I just felt very special because I don't know that everybody gets this amazing care by people like you guys that are like advocates and intelligent and and you're, you're gonna try your best to get this baby out of my vagina. So I knew that I was in self like I was really being taken care of, you know, in a yeah. really special way. So we went and saw Chavira and he said, uh, I want you to get a third opinion. But I think that if we have to, I will, like I said, will you be the person to do the C-section? Because I was so traumatized from my first experience. This other doctor that also said, why are we doing this? She could have pushed, was mocking me about wanting to keep my placenta. Who's like, oh, is it because, uh, what is her name? Kardashian, Kim Kardashian kept her placenta or whatever. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, what are you talking about? So I I really was um fearful to go back. And so uh Chavita said that he would do it if 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 the results were leaning in that direction. So he actually found me a, a doctor. He's um amongst his peers, he put a a message out and said, Who is the best uh placenta creta specialist out there? And um he found me a, an amazing doctor, but he was down in Long Beach. Um, so I went down, and, and you
1: live you live in in Los Angeles. So for our listeners, that's you know it it could be an hour or more with Los Angeles traffic to get down to Long Beach. It's it's quite a yeah. distance.
2: Yeah. So I went and saw him, and um, <laughs> he immediately was like. You have placenta, I think procreta. Like he saw it and he's like, I can't tell. We need to go do a different, but I think it's a procreta.
0: Can I explain? Can I explain Please. that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we're we're actually talking about when you have a placenta accreta, it's not the the term for that now is placenta accreta spectrum because it is a spectrum. It runs from a placenta that overlies the scar but does not invade which is normal i mean it's it, you that's that's okay uh, as long as it's not covering the cervix as well but when a placenta grows into this, uh scar um then that's called a placenta accreta when it grows into the into the muscle when it when it grows deeper or almost through the muscle i believe that's correct it's called a placenta increta and when it grows into the other organs around it like the bladder, it's called placenta percreta. Was that your that your understanding, Desi?
2: Yep. Yeah. It's been a while oh, since yeah. I
0: actually read the definitions. I actually, I did some prep for this, but I forgot to, uh, that's what I remember is that percreta was meaning, meaning that yours looked like it was invading your bladder, I think.
2: Yeah, it was it's starting to eat through and it was kind of going crazy. There was talk of me possibly needing a catheter for many months after the the birth and he he wasn't sure you know you can only see so much and he had like a specialized machine obviously even more detailed than the one that you were using and uh he um he immediately said I I, I can't I'm pretty sure this is what this is so I think I had to go get I'm not sure was it was an MRI is that possible I had to yeah. go get like
0: an MRI an MRI is often used because even though the um the data on MRIs for this is not useful. It's not something that's that's better diagnostic than an ultrasound. I just think that doctors see it so rarely, maybe not this guy, but, it, but other doctors see it so rarely that no one wants to call it and everyone wants to know kind of precisely how deep it goes, but you can tell that by ultrasound generally, although sometimes it can be missed on ultrasound if it's just an Acreta, um, because that helps you to plan your team for the delivery, which we'll get to shortly so an mri would be the second step it's not something that's mandatory or routine but i think in the today's world where if you know if you can do two tests why would you only do one
2: yeah okay. <laughs> and sort i think of. you pinpoint it nobody wants to call it right i think you that that is, is nobody wants to call it you're right well and because it, think-
0: because when you call it it the, the the choices are are bad and worse yep
2: right. pretty
0: much
1: Aww. yeah okay so now you have the bad and worst choices tell us about that
2: Um, but I also had learned so much about my other births so I was also ready to advocate for myself um we were 28 weeks at this point or 25 by the time everything was going on and he um I was still it's, it's funny I was still trying to save my uterus guys Cause I didn't want more children. Like that was literally, I mean, this is going to sound really intense, but at one point I said, okay, what if we have an abortion now? Can I, um, will I be able to save my uterus? And he said, that is a wonderful question. And at this point, no, like this, like I'm. he was like, look, I, I love you, but I'm trying to keep you alive. This isn't about your uterus anymore. Like I'm, you have two kids. I'm trying to keep you alive, I'm trying to keep your baby alive. Um, so it got pretty grim pretty quickly and he wanted to, Dr. Fishbein luckily had given me some information about the, like, I think the accreta and like the bleeding out. And so he wanted to take, I think for them, they want to take it out sooner than later. So they would like to have the C-section and the hysterectomy pretty much pretty early. I think at 28 weeks, he was asking if we could start the planning of, thunders delivery and I said no I refused I said I would like to get to 30 weeks and they talked to me about what Dr. Fishbein says called the bleed Dr. Fishbein yeah am I right
0: yeah well well that's more with the placenta previa part of it than the than the accretive part of it the placenta previa most women with placenta a true placenta previa will have a, a an initial bleed somewhere in, in the second trimester and that bleed will generally not be it'll be scary because when you're pregnant, seeing blood come out of your vagina is always scary, but it's usually not um, uh, a finality. That's the best word I can come to. But it does imply that there will be a a subsequent bleed. And that subsequent bleed I was always taught could be really significant. And therefore, if you had a bleed and your baby was in the viable range, like above 24, 25 weeks, they'd want to potentially, at least when I was in the, Back in the 80s, they put you in the hospital and you essentially sat in the hospital for however long until you ended up either making it to the goal. And the goal ideally is about 34 to 35 weeks um, nowadays, but whatever goal they set for you, or if you started to bleed heavily, they they knew you were right there and they could do something.
2: Yeah, so I refused to be checked in. I had two little children. I was still nursing. And also from my first, and this is where we talk about like, I was able to advocate for myself this way because I had already had all the different experiences. So before Fox, if you remember, I had a pregnancy that was not viable and it wasn't like terminated. It wasn't going anywhere. I had to have a DNC and I had thought that I was three, about three months. It had been not viable in, in my womb. And so I knew that my body didn't really release things so that I held on to stuff. So that's mm-hmm. that's one of the lessons I learned from my first birth or pregnancy before Fox. And um so I just knew like I was not gonna have a bleed and I was not good. This baby was not gonna come out that I was gonna hold on to this baby. And so I um I said, you know, um what can I do to make you feel safe? I'm not doing this. I'm I'm either gonna disappear until this baby it's time or we can work together. And he said, Whew! It was hard for him. He said, I have other people I have to check in with, Desiree. He was like, <laughs> um, he said, okay, how about you move to Long Beach? I need you within a mile of the hospital in case there's a bleed, in case, you know, so that we can monitor you more regularly. Um, so we packed up and moved to Long Beach for that last month. And, oh, yeah uh i had a very intense birth i don't know well this, before we get to,
0: to... before we get to that so you moved to long beach at about what gestational age
2: about 25 25 27 between 25 and 28 weeks i moved and, to Long and, Beach.
0: and this doctor who you who chavira found for you 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 had good respect for him and stuff like that right
2: Oh my God. I loved him, but you know what? I have to say he was on the more conservative side. I think, um, I I softened him a little bit. I think a little (laughs) charm and a little, like, I'm not uh, doing anything else.
0: Are we okay with mentioning his name for other people who might be in this?
2: Dr. Srivastava. Srivastava, I think in Long Beach. Okay. Um, Srivastava. And he was, he was amazing. His team was like, you know, tricky. They're very like, do, 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 do. And, and I refuse to drink their orange juice, their orange, nasty chemical, whatever that is to check for gestational yeah. diabetes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Glucola. And, I, I, and, and And, but I was very clear. I said, look guys, this, I know that this is, this is not a big deal for you, but it's a big deal for me. Like I, I don't want to drink these drinks and I don't want to lose my uterus. And every time I would go in there, I would joke with him. I said, you're going to try to save that uterus, right? And he'd say, I'm trying to save your life. And I'm like, but you're going to save my life and the uterus, right? And, you know, I mean, we try and, you know, it was really sweet during the one of the last things he said to me before I went under in a playful, loving way, which he was able to do because of all the weeks that we were seeing each other. He said, "Des." I'm not going to be able to save this uterus girl. And I don't want you to wake up upset with me. And I smiled and I knew that he knew it was important to me. And I, we had developed a rapport together. I mean, it wasn't easy at first because he was a very, um, you know, your standard doctor and he had, he was used to doing things his way and I wanted to do things my way. And we compromised and he was, he was really awesome. I mean, during one of my last checkups, the nurse said, whoa, you have placenta procreta. How are you not in the hospital right now? And I just looked at her and said, cause I advocated for myself. And she said, I have never seen somebody not checked in with your condition or already delivered. Like this is nuts. Um, so yeah. So how, far did,
0: so how far did you get and what day did you have to end up going in for the surgery? And did you go in I, just electively or did you go in because you had a problem?
2: No, he pushed it to, we pushed it to 30 and Miss, do you remember if he was born at 30 or 35 weeks? I can't remember. What'd you um, say? 35 weeks? Yeah. It was, he, when, do you remember when thunder was, I, I, I don't remember. How much? How much
0: did he weigh?
2: exactly he was what? tiny he was tiny because i don't think the placenta was really working honestly at that well at that point i think it was busy trying to attach itself to stuff um he was uh, three and a half pounds he was yeah, tiny so that's,
0: that's like 31 32 weeks generally
1: yeah i know i was trying to push it more i was like i think, hey, I think keep- she was in long beach I- for at least a month so I'm going to say over 32, like 32
2: or plus I, weeks. Yeah, I think it was, I think it might've been 35. I think I pushed, I think I was trying yeah. to push for 36 and then 37. And at 35, he said, That's it. I have other people. <laughs> I cannot keep like, yeah. this is a lot longer than I'm al- I'm already comfortable with. And you, you yeah. pushed it as far as you can go, girl.
0: Well, yeah, yeah um, you put, you pushed his limits probably a lot because if, you, if what you're saying is true and you were 35 yeah. weeks and the baby only weighed three pounds, two ounces. Then not yeah. only did you have an accreta or a percreta um, and a placenta previa, but you, asked, you had growth restriction as well. So.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think he was born at 35 weeks because I had pushed it because I think I had learned that the, um, the longer he was in my womb, the less time he'd be in the NICU. And because I was still nursing two other boys, I it was really important to me. I And oh, that was the other thing. They wanted me to stop nursing the boys, um, which I also did not agree to <laughs> you're your Jupiter own you're your own metal. woman you're your own Jupiter woman, Jupiter was so middle come on well and not
0: but this but this if is you, important this is an important point is that a lot of a lot of information and a lot of advice that we give to our clients is what's basically called consensus opinion
2: mm-hmm.
0: and you know they they do it because you know and they want to treat everybody the same because it's this is the safest way they see how to do it but it doesn't necessarily apply to every person. And you were to give your baby a little bit more time in utero and you were to be able to continue to breastfeed your other boys. And and they would not have allowed that. And if you had been hospitalized that whole time, I don't even know what those days if they would have let toddlers into the hospital, so.
2: No, I I literally, I, I, I sat with him and I said, I respect you and I need you. I, I was, I, I know I need you. I know that I cannot, this is not a home birth. I need you and I respect your education, and I respect your support, but we have to compromise, and I, I need to nurse my children. My child is a baby. It's really important to me, and if, if we can't come up with an agreement, then I'm just, I'm going to ghost, and I'll come back, you know, probably within an emergency, you know, and that was his concern. He was like, if you just leave, then I'm going to be doing this under an emergency situation please give me an advantage and my team an advantage to plan this out and I said great what's going to make you feel safe he said having me close we did it we compromised I still nursed my children and I refused to go we checked it I, I couldn't I had a little baby he was eight months nine months ten months you know like I couldn't do that too yeah
1: okay so the day comes and and you go in for surgery
2: yeah. the morning comes,
1: I go in for surgery
2: about five in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, God, there's so much pain in that day. Even just the moment they started poking me, it was, it was just really hard. Um, well, we really in, hard. Yeah, it is. They're poking you. They're prodding you. I don't, you know, I don't like needles. Um, and, um, and you're scared. They, you know, statistically as a Statistically, it has a pretty high mortality rate. They said to me, which is what he kept saying to me. Like, I don't think you understand. This is really a life and death situation for you. This is dangerous. Um, you can bleed out. All the things. And then I'm brown, and so I was just that. Uh, that statistic alone is scary, right? Like, that's just we're treat. You know, you know. And so it was just compounded, right? Um, yep. and I, I was there. Yeah I wrote my kids a letter because I just in case they didn't make it and that was really painful. It was one of the worst things you can ever imagine to write to your because there's nothing you can write that's going to be enough or poetic enough or beautiful enough or protect them enough. it was pretty traumatizing for my family my husband was just begging me please don't leave me with these babies by myself you know like fight Des, you got it right so um we went in and I saw thunder for I don't know 10 seconds it went pretty quick once he got thunder out he he said, "Babe, I know. I know. We, you know. I'm not gonna be able to save your uterus. I don't want you to be surprised. Um, we have a lot of work ahead of us." Uh, and that was it. I kissed Thunder on the forehead. Radar kissed me on the forehead, and I I had planned everything I could. Bliss um, was there to make sure that they didn't give them any uh, formula. We had a we had milk lined up. Uh, Radar wasn't to leave the baby. He was to do skin on skin. It's so hard because you. It's it's the hospital setting is so tricky. You can't just ask. You can't just say please don't give my baby this. Please don't give my baby that. Uh, and and have them listen. It's it's really strange. It, everything is out of your control once they have your baby. It's a it's a tricky situation. So, I wrote everything down. I met with the nurses beforehand, the NICU nurses. I wrote everything that I expected. I did not want them to wipe his eyes. I did not want them to vaccinate him with a bunch. Of, I just, there was a lot of limits that I was setting not to give him human horse uh, growth hormone. Um, it was just a constant fight. Once, once, um, baby was Earthside, and this had to, had to go against nurses, my family, all the things. <laughs> Yeah, made in, I was
1: not popular. Let's just say they oh, did. Yeah. They did not like me. They made it really difficult for me to, to be in there and advocate. But Desi had given me instructions and I was going to do exactly what she had asked me to do. So, and,
2: and I'm so grateful that you were able to stand up to everybody and be very clear um, because nobody else was willing to do it. And everybody was scared and um, they used fear a lot. They fear so much in the hospital. It's it's nuts. So um, I did end up uh, intubated. I yeah. did end up losing a lot, a lot of blood. I did end up on life support. Even with all the planning, even with an entire team, there was a huge team of people, of really amazing people, with a doctor that I had swayed over to my side and still... Um, Still, I woke up intubated and on life support and the tube, in my throat. And that was I didn't see my baby for a couple of days. Um, it was pretty awful. It was pretty much I still don't i I haven't handled a lot of my health stuff because I just don't want to feel pain. It was one of the most painful experiences that I just i even now thunder's poor and I don't want to do anything that's going to hurt me because it was
1: just as all still in my body. Yeah. You're still processing your trauma around. And, you know, I, I remember, I remember so much, but I remember you going from this, you know, let's have a baby vaginally in the woods next to the river to finding out that you probably weren't going to get to have a home birth. You weren't going to get to have a baby. Yeah. You weren't going to get to have a vaginal birth. You were, you were dealing with losing your uterus and not being able to have more children, being in the hospital, potentially losing your life and having a baby in the NICU. Like that was so much to process and to deal with. And um, I just want to tell you how proud I am for how you advocated for yourself, because as, as a lot of people know, and when it's a scary situation like this, it's really hard to stand up and you listened to your intuition and you advocated for what you could figure out was the best for your entire family, given the shit situation that you were handed. And, yep. um, I know that, you know, we all go back. It's like, Hindsight is twenty twenty. So we go back and we're like, oh, I wish I had whatever. But the only thing that we can do in those moments is move forward and make the best decisions that we can. And you are a beautiful example of someone who not only advocated for yourself, but you also figured out how to move your whole family to Long Beach. And I, I will tell you, our listeners, that that's not because Desi has a whole bunch of money sitting around. <laughs> that's because Desi is a determined person who figured out how to make what it was that she wanted work. She pulled her resources and her community to be able to advocate for herself with her family and with the medical team. And so you guys are here. You're alive. Funder is beautiful amazing all your boys are so beautiful and I and I remember you guys went to Bali as as a way of celebrating life um I don't know if it was like a year later or something but you guys said we survived this we need to go and do something really beautiful yeah
2: I mean I want to say a couple of things one is that I'm not telling everybody to do exactly what I did or say exactly what I said um it really, you're right, Bliss. It's intuition, and it's it's also just like knowing your body and your limits and what your needs are, um, and it's different for everybody,
1: right? Totally, totally. Um,
2: and yes, I did not have money laying around. It was a, it was a community thing, and um, yeah, at one point when they said like, you know, you might not make it through this birth. I was begging radar. I said, let's go to Bali. If I'm going to die anywhere, that's where I want to (laughs) die. And he was like, well, if you go there, you're certainly going to die. Cause I don't think that, you know, you're going to have a Dr. Shuvastava there to, to work through this kind of complicated birth. And yeah, we we went to Bali. I think Thunder was like six months. He was little.
1: Yeah, Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to say real quick, and I could tell Stu's writing notes feverishly, he has a couple things he wants to say, but, yeah. you know, supporting you in advocating for breastfeeding and going to do skin on skin with under, you know, whatever it was day two or day three, when you weren't intubated anymore, across the entire friggin' hospital in a wheelchair and, uh, you know, I don't even remember like you you they would let us come in and support you and you were trying to stand next to the incubator and like it just showed me how totally wacky it is that our our hospital rooms are not set up so that women who have c-sections because most of the babies who are in not all but a lot of the babies who are in the NICU their moms are recovering as well and like why do we not have these rooms set up so that you guys can be together? I have no idea, but it was one of the worst things for your healing. And you know, you're that kind of mama that you're like, I don't get, I don't care. I'm going to get up and go and be with my baby. Um, so it just gave me a lot of insight into like what we can do to do better when we do have these kinds of situations in the hospital as well.
2: Oh man, we could have an entire conversation about That's having a baby
1: in the NICU. I'm
2: not kidding. Yeah. That yeah. was like it was like, I, it was like war number one, and then war number two. It was it was like really intense, and yeah. and and it was really painful, and it was as difficult as they could make it. They made it, and you find your sweet people here and there that support you. I mean, I literally, I, I essentially broke Thunder out of the NICU, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, well maybe we'll have
0: you back for that. Another day. hi <laughs> so I don't think that I've had a podcast where I haven't spoken for at least 10 minutes. <laughs> yes, you have. <laughs> so maybe. Maybe. Maybe when Hayes was on, I I, I probably didn't speak as much either. Uh, Desi, thank you for telling your story. This is um you know, there's a lot of lessons to be learned here. Um, we, you know, we can't go back. So this is, this is more in general and it's for our listeners, but I want people to understand that, that first of all, the first birth matters Yeah. and what happens in the first birth and, and doctors say, well, you know, if, if you were a multip, I would deliver your twins vaginally, or if you were a a multip, I deliver your breech baby vaginally. It's like, no, no, the first birth Matters that much, and when we have thirty percent of women having their first birth by cesarean section,
2: mm.
0: we've gone well. That has led us. You, you do the math here. Um, prior to the nineteen sixties, the the incidence of a placenta accreta, or the what now we call the uh, placenta accreta um, spectrum, was about one in thirty thousand pregnancies. By the late eight, by the year two thousand, it was one in five hundred and thirty three, and apparently in the last year or two, it's about one in two hundred and seventy two. Wow. So I don't even know what, I can't even do the math on that, Um, uh, on what percent it's increased in that period of time. But the obviously the only thing that's really changed is we've gone from a C-section rate of under 5% to a C-section rate of over 30%. So C-sections, when the doctors tell you it's, you know, it's, it's just a simple operation, you'll it, it be in and out in 30 minutes, why would you want to, you know, Risk your baby, or risk your vagina, or risk this, or risk that. It's like they don't tell you the potential negatives of it. And this is a well-known potential negative of a scarred uterus: is placenta accreta spectrum. Um, You know, you 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 also said, I quoted you. You said when you were talking about your first pregnancy, I remember every detail. Those are your words. Uh, you, You, I quoted you, and I know that our listeners know this, but it's really important that. Doctors and nurses understand that women remember every detail. So how you speak to them, what you say, you know, don't talk about Laker scores. Don't talk about, oh, this baby, as you're cutting her open, say something like, why didn't she just push this baby out? Well, if you thought that, then why didn't you put a vacuum on her? Why didn't you have her push it out? Why are you even saying something? Now, that doctor will never remember ever saying that, but I'm 100% certain that that doctor Mm -hmm. said that because- women remember every detail they just do Mm -hmm. and so you know once you had you know that terrible experience as you discussed it and then i listened to you talk about um jupiter's birth and your whole voice changed you know you went up you went up an octave you you (laughs) had this joy and this cheer in your mouth from what you were talking about when you were talking about with your first birth and you remember every detail about that and that one Causes you to have uh, oxytocin and dopamine release as opposed to cortisol and adrenaline release, which was your memory of your first one.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, then the, and then the bravery with which you dealt with everything, the adversity that came with baby number three. You know, because we all knew you and then we had to give you that information and then you had to process it and you had to deal with it. And <laughs> um, but you did everything right. You've got Shavira involved, Shavira found this guy. Um, the most important thing for survival from a placenta acrita, uh or procreta or increta is having the proper uh, multidisciplinary team available. Because if these things happen at a little community hospital, the mortality rate is as high as one in 14.
1: Yeah.
0: And for, mo- for mothers, not babies, for mothers. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure that in Dr. Shubishavas? I don't know if that's how you said it,
2: <laughs>
0: whatever, <laughs> Dr. S we'll call him Dr. S. He's the other Dr. Yeah. S um, I'm sure he has a much better track record than that because he's put together a multidisciplinary team, you know, of nurses and anesthesiologists and blood banking and laboratory and uh, NICU or, or not NICU, but um, surgical intensive care unit for you afterwards. Because even though they know what they're doing, they still have to do a C-section. They probably either have to cut through the placenta or above the placenta, which means your uterus is going to bleed. They generally will then sew up the uterus, and then they begin the process of um, putting the clamps on to do the hysterectomy. Um, and there's lots of technique. We don't need to get into the technicalities of it, but but everything went the way it should. And yet you were, st- you know, there was still this question of Are you going to survive? And you're here, and you have three beautiful boys, and you're telling your story. And for uh, for us, knowing you personally, um the story hits really home. But I think all our listeners are going to look at this, and they're going to say, "Yeah, the uh, cesarean section is not innocuous." Yeah, yeah.
1: One in,
0: th- one in thirty thousand to one in two hundred and seventy-two over fifty over fifty years. Yeah, and Ooh.
1: with and with her. Um, you know, potentially losing her life, but also as you shared so beautifully, just your experience and the fact that you're still processing all of this. And, you know, I mean, it I love that you highlighted that, Stu, is, you know, all of the ways that it matters, that it doesn't just matter the the physical part. It's it's all of it. It's who you are as a mother to your children who were, you know, needing you during that time. It's all integrated, it's all holistic. And um, The other thing I wanted to say is that stories like this and supporting women like you really impact us as providers as well, because you (laughs) said, Desi was worried she was going to cry and I'm totally the one crying. (laughs) Um, uh, I said, we cry on the podcast. It's okay. But you said to me, I was an, I was observing your first birth. And you were with me through the journey into becoming a midwife. And you said to me, don't ever lose who you were at that birth. Don't ever stop being the person who sits by the bed and is patient and doesn't push. And you, your words and how much that affected you have been in my head at every experience that I've had since then. And so you know, I want you to know that. I'm sure you do. But I also want Moms to know that we are we are greatly affected um as you know community based birthing advocates and um providers practitioners, as Stu likes me to say, um that you touch us <laughs> as well and you go with us to our next families and our next deliveries. um so thank you for who you are for us, Desi as well, and your beautiful family.
2: I love you guys,
0: yeah. we love you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, I think this is a great place to end. I had a yeah. know, other thing, but this is just a great place to end the podcast and leave it at that. And maybe we'll have some sweet music swelling from our producers as, <laughs> as we yeah, ride. Some, at,
1: some, some Leonard Cohen music, I say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay.
0: And so as we ride long, off yeah. into the sunset and, and Desi, thank you for telling your story. Um, I'm sure it's going to affect a lot of people. Uh, I know that a lot, a lot of our our, our listeners and stuff, you know, they're not ultrasound phobic, but some are. There couldn't be a better reason actually to have gotten an ultrasound. You know, if you need a reason to get an ultrasound, like at 20 weeks, this is this is a rare case, but this is one of those reasons because otherwise we wouldn't have, probably not have known, and who knows what could have happened at that point.
1: Yeah, we would have been next to the river. Yeah. So even
0: though I said we should leave it here I, I couldn't help but stick in another uh, another talk <laughs> I love you guys uh, thank you thanks Desi thanks for listening uh, everybody and we'll uh, we'll catch you at the next podcast right Bliss
1: okay yep see you then Bye-bye. bye bye bye